Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of Hebrews. Today is episode 878. Looking at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. Let's read the passage. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus is entered there on our behalf as a forerunner, because he has become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This is the book of Hebrews. It's a letter, or a written sermon, written to a group of Jewish Christians. There's persecution in the Roman Empire against Christians, and these Jewish Christians are tempted to pretty much drop out of Christianity, fall back into Judaism to escape the persecution. And the author's arguing that Christ is superior to anything else. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the Old Testament priesthood. In fact, he is the great high priest of the order of Melchizedek. And he's given these three warnings so far. And they pretty much all follow the idea that don't miss God by ignoring what he said, ignoring what he's done. He sent Jesus Christ to show us the way. So, Persevere in your faith following Jesus Christ. Now, last time we saw in chapter 6, verse 12, he talked about inheriting the promises through faith and perseverance. Now, pick it up in chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. Now, he's been talking about the fact that God is just. And we need to persevere. And so he's continuing that line of thinking that God has made promises. So he's talking about the promise that God made to Abraham. This goes back into Genesis. And Abraham is seen as the father of everyone who has faith in God. The Israelites viewed themselves as descendants of Abraham. They were. They were descendants of Abraham through Isaac. And he is the father of the people of God. The Christians, we view ourselves as descendants of Abraham. The New Testament says we are spiritual descendants of Abraham. And Abraham is held up as kind of the icon, as someone who had faith. Several places in the Bible talks about Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. That is, he was declared righteous, not because of what he had done, but because of his faith. God came to Abraham and promised that he would make Abraham into a great nation. He would bless him. But Abraham was childless. Abraham and Sarah, they were already old, past childbearing age, and getting older. And it seemed like maybe it wouldn't come to pass, but eventually it did, and Isaac was born. 
Now, the reference here in verse 13 is really Genesis 22. And this is where God tells Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac. And we read it as very troubling to us because why would God ask Abraham to do this? And Abraham, I don't think, understood it, but he was obedient. That's where he believed God. And he took Isaac up on the mountain to sacrifice him. Then God stopped him and said, no, don't do it. But I see that you really would have, since you believed that I told you to do it. And in Genesis 22:16, God says, by myself, I have sworn. So we see God swearing by himself. People swear by God. As, as the Lord lives, I promise. And so that's how people swear. He says, since there's no one greater for God to swear by, he swears by himself. Now, verse 14, I will indeed bless you and will greatly multiply you. This is Genesis 22:17. So here he's recounting the promise to Abraham, this idea of blessing and multiplying. Verse 15, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. Abraham did wait from the initial promise to receive the son Isaac. And then he had waited after that until there became many, many descendants. Verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves. For them, a confirming oath ends every dispute. Abraham swore by God. Several places, Genesis 14, 22, Genesis 21, 23, Genesis 24, 3, Abraham swears by the living God. And so, basically he's saying, may God hold me accountable for this promise I have made. Verse 17, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. And we see several times God say in the Old Testament, as I live. And that's where he's declaring an oath. My promise is guaranteed because of who I am. And the heirs of the promise, well, who is that? Well, it would be the descendants of Abraham. That's who the promise was made to. Be they physical descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, or the spiritual descendants of Abraham, Christians. In verse 18, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is possible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. So these two unchangeable things, what are they? One is the promise of God, and then secondly is the oath by which his promise is confirmed. Fled for refuge, meaning we fled the sinful world and run to God. And seize the hope set before us, that's the hope in Jesus Christ. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. An anchor is something that's immovable, something we can cling to. And that is our hope, our hope in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And by hope, hope isn't meant something we wish for, but something we count on. And it says, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. What enters? The hope enters. And it makes it clear in the next verse, Jesus has entered there. So our hope is Jesus. Jesus has entered the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. The curtain separates the holy place 
the outer chamber of the temple from the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that's where the high priest would enter there once a year to make the offering for the sins of the people. Well, Jesus, as the great high priest, has gone there and made possible the forgiveness of sins. Verse 20. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was this container in which you had the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments on them. So, But it was more than just a container. It was also built as something of a throne, the place God would sit lid of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat, the place where God would sit to dispense mercy. And so the, the imagery of it was behind the curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was, that's where the high priest went to meet God. And that's literally what happened initially in the tabernacle, where Moses would go into the tabernacle to meet God. It was called the Tent of Meeting. And so now, Jesus has entered there. Well, where's God now? Well, he's not behind the curtain in the temple. He is in heaven. So Jesus has gone to heaven on our behalf as a forerunner, meaning he's gone there before us. That's the only place you see this word, forerunner, in the New Testament. And so it's one who's gone on ahead because he has become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, you look at the structure of Hebrews, sometimes this, this whole section from Hebrews 5.11 to here, it just seems out of place, like it was an, oh, by the way, let me stick this in here. But it's here purposefully. If we step back, look at the, some of the structure. In Hebrews 1, he presented Jesus as the Son. Then in Hebrews 2.7 and 3.1, he presents Jesus as the high priest. Then in Hebrews 5, 5 through 10, he presents Jesus as the son and high priest. Then 5.10, he says Jesus is high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And he repeats that again right here. And so from 5.10 to here, 6.20, those are bracketed by that statement. Jesus is high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And what's in between there is this discussion of the promises of God and the warning about growing to maturity. He basically says this whole thing, Jesus is high priest, the order of Melchizedek, that's complicated. You guys are stuck in the elementary things. You need to advance in maturity. And if you don't, God's liable to not allow you to progress in maturity and put you in time out. You're going to miss what God is doing. And God has made promises to us, just like he made promises to Abraham. And we can count on these promises because of what Jesus Christ has done. And he's gone on before us. And just as Abraham had to be patient and persevere in his faith, we need to be patient and persevere in our faith, lest we miss what God is doing. And so that's been this little side argument. Now he's going to get back into the whole Melchizedek subject. All of chapter 7 
is comparing Jesus and Melchizedek, this mysterious priest king in Genesis. And so we've completed the little sidebar of this Melchizedek stuff's complicated, but we've got to move on to maturity to get that. And if we don't, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss what God is doing. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through Hebrews 11.1.